This podcast is brought to you by the Afterlife Conference that is going to be held in Orlando, Florida, November 1st through the 4th. We are also going to be live streaming this event, and this event is going to explore the world beyond death through instructional presentations, experiential workshops, and group processes that include hands-on instruction for out-of-body journeying, readings with mediums and intuitives, bereavement support, past life regression, sacred ceremonies and rituals, academic research and scientific investigation, multicultural perspective on death and beyond, and talking to children about death. Some of the keynote speakers that they have at this conference this year is going to be psychic medium Thomas John, mystic scholar and theologian Andrew Harvey, the Monroe Institute's William Buhlman, Terry Daniel, who is the founder of the conference, Monica Williams, M.D., Medium and intuitive counselor Susan Geisman, Suzanne Northrup, who is also a medium, and shamanic practitioner Linda Fitch. So if you guys would like to attend in person, head on over to their website, which is afterlifeconference.com. They still have tickets available. And if you are unable to travel, you can watch this in the comfort of your own home or at your office by purchasing the live stream ticket. And our live stream ticket right now has an early bird pricing of only $99. And this sale is going to end on September 6th. So we decided to extend the early bird special through Labor Day weekend for those of you who are still traveling and having fun in your summer. Um, And that will end on September 6th. And then the price goes up to $129. And the day of on November 1st, if you forget to purchase a ticket, you will be paying $149. So I highly recommend to head on over to path11productions.com slash AC 2018 and purchase your live stream ticket today. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hi, everybody. I'm really looking forward to this podcast today, and I'm hoping that it might even help some of you out there who actually might be experiencing any type of pain or even chronic pain. Um, And getting ready for this interview, one of the things that I had learned that I did not know about was according to data from the 2012 National Health Interview Survey, 11.2% of American adults, that is equivalent to 25.3 million people experience some form of pain, often at severe levels every day and have for the previous three months. Um, Another statistic here is in 2006, a survey was done by the American Pain Foundation, and they found that the vast majority of pain sufferers feel that they have no control over their pain and that it severely impacts their well-being and ability to enjoy life. And of those surveyed, 77% reported feeling depressed. So I would like to welcome our guest today on the show, Sarah Ann Shockley, and she is an award-winning filmmaker and former university instructor who has lived with debilitating neuralgia, she might have to uh, correct me on that, um, from thoracic outlet syndrome for more than 10 years. Because her condition was unresponsive to existing traditional or alternative therapies, she developed a unique method of pain management and pain reduction, not reliant on pharmaceuticals or medical intervention. And she wrote the book that we are going to talk a bit about today called The Pain Companion, Everyday Wisdom for Living with and Moving Beyond Chronic Pain. So welcome, Sarah. 
Thank you so much, April. I'm really delighted to be here. Now, pronounce actually what what it's it was. neuralgia. You did it exactly right. Neuralgia. And that means that it. means that basically means nerve pain. So, um, thoracic outlet syndrome is a collapse between the the collarbones and the first rib, and there's a lot going on in that area. There's nerves and muscles and arteries. So, when that area collapses, which for me happened for unfortunately prolonged computer use, so I want to that should be a warning to people to be careful. Um, uh, it squeezed all those things, uh, squeezes nerves, squeezes veins and, and uh, arteries and muscles. So it's very, very painful. It's very debilitating. And there's not a lot out there, particularly for the version I had, which was very severe. It was on both sides of my body and it affected all those levels. Uh, most people get a much lighter version than I had. So there wasn't much hope for me. Uh, the, the medications didn't work for me, nerve relieving medications. And, um, the manipulations that we have, sometimes chiropractic type stuff, the physical therapy, that only made it worse in my case. So I was pretty much left to my own devices to try to sort out what to do. You know, how do you live with that and how do you get through that? Right. So can can you would you mind sharing like some of the medications that you were actually on just for people out there who may be in the same boat, different type of condition, but they're trying to yeah. treat this with some of I, these pharmaceuticals? You know, honestly, it was a long time ago because it's been 10 years. So I remember Neurotin, but I don't remember the other names of them. I remember they had less. They were all nerve medications. They're pretty well known. Uh, I think I tried three or four of them. And I remember being in my um, car with my son picking up one and we, we opened the box and that this this long like Jacob's Ladder trail of, of paper fell out. And that was the list of side effects. It was in tiny, tiny, tiny writing. And he just sat there and said, mom, you're not going to take that, are you? I said, yeah, I got it. You know, and one of them included sudden death. I mean, the, 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 the possible side effects are pretty frightening. So, but I did try them anyway. Um, and the side effects for me were quite, uh, severe. So, uh, they didn't for me. And again, nerve pain is kind of hard to deal with. Um, it, they put the pain at a little bit of a distance, but didn't get rid of it, but they gave me worse migraines, more insomnia, nausea, uh, dizziness, fogginess, which I, you can't be a, I was a single mom. You can't be a parent and have all that stuff going on if you can help that. So I, I just tried them each for about a week each and with a, some space in between. And I know, um, there's probably a lot of listeners out there that are trying various medications and, and sometimes they work well and, and are really helpful. And sometimes they almost bring more problems in with them. And sometimes, uh, medications are mixed together and they don't often agree with each other. So it's a real, it's a real issue and it's a real problem. And of course we have the whole idea of the opioid crisis, we're calling it. And that is, um, the problems with addiction to opioids and the problems with overdoses and uh, overuse. Um, but I, I also want to say that I know that one of the one of the ways we're trying to deal with the opioid crisis is by just stopping, you know, prescribing it. And I don't agree with that. Um, there are many people out there that cannot function without some kind of medication. So what I advocate looking at is go, going ahead and doing whatever you need to do to function. And let's look at some other things that we can add into that mix to make life a little easier to mitigate the pain, to bring down the acute levels of pain. 
So when you, you know, kind of receive the diagnosis and trying to treat it, can you talk a little bit about just how it, you know, affected you on that emotional level? Um, you know, when I opened up the podcast, it was talking about how people can really begin to experience depression. Many times people's way of life needs to change yes. or the things that they love to do, um, you know, want to do or have goals to aspire to that kind of can stop in their tracks and they, their life completely takes a different path. Yes, absolutely. In fact, for me, it felt like life stopped almost. Um, it was almost overnight. I went from being very active, athletic. You know, I used to do kung fu, and I was. You know, my son and I were were swimming together, and uh, we had just gotten our bikes fixed up to go for some long rides. He was eleven at the time. Um, I used to love to backpack and and hike and camp, and was a very active, athletic person, and went from that to basically complete stopping overnight. And I know that other people pro probably have had this experience. I know many people have had this experience, probably many of our listeners, where you're, the change is almost overnight. And you go from an active lifestyle, one in which often we take our bodies for granted. We, we wake up in the morning, we don't ask ourselves, can I get out of bed? But when you've got a condition, when you've got pain, you do ask yourself that. It, or how am I going to get out of bed? How am I going to take a shower? How am I going to get through this day? It's really incredible um, that the what what moves in with when pain moves in is also this incredible sense of loss, sadness, grief, terror, a lot of fear. Um, sometimes it builds over time because, of course, when we meet these things, when we meet pain on the path of life, we don't know it's going to be chronic the first day. You know, we might know it's very acute and severe, but we don't know it's going to, how long it's going to last. And we often assume it's just going to go away. It's going to be healed. So at there's some point at maybe three months, four months, maybe even for me, it was like the first year that I held out thinking I was going to heal, you know, immediately, like any day I was going to wake up and be better. And when that doesn't happen, over that time, you can kind of slide down this well of depression without even realizing it. You begin to feel hopelessness, loss, um, helpless. And there's also a lot of shame that comes with living with pain. Shame for not being able to heal yourself. Shame for ever having had it happen as if it was your fault. Um, you go to the doctor and they wonder why you're not better yet. How can you still be in pain? You feel shamed that way. Um, the people around you want you to get better, of course, because they love you, but also because they just, you know, they're tired of you being in pain. And, and could you please hurry up and heal without really necessarily, some people say that quite explicitly, but often it's implied in this um how can you still be in pain? You know, aren't you doing, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? So there's a lot that comes with living with physical pain on the emotional level that we're not talking about a whole lot and we're not really addressing. And that's one of the things that I think we really need to talk about. And, and one of the things I offer in the book and when I talk to people is just being there with them in that level of pain too. And if we can begin to recognize the emotional pain that comes with physical pain, that actually helps us relieve it, release it and relieve it and can actually affect the levels of physical pain we're in too. 
Yeah. And in part two of your book, I mean, you really do um, spend some time going through all of the different emotions that you um, just listed with the guilt and the shame, anger and blame, victimization, powerlessness, the fear, the anxiety, the isolation, you know, and and it goes on a little bit. And I remember when I was just kind of like looking at the contents of the book, it it almost seems like pain can take a life of its own inside the body. It's almost like a separate entity that's inhabiting. Absolutely. It really feels like, you know, the, the, the guest that won't leave. I think there was a Saturday night live thing a long time ago, the thing that wouldn't leave or something, this, this person that sits on your couch and won't go home. It's kind of like that only it's really an awful, this awful being sort of shows up this roommate you never asked for. And they're in your body. And every day, a moment of every day, pretty much you're, you're with this being or this entity or this form or this, you know, whatever you want to call it. And it, and it's a, it feels like a force. And it can feel very adversarial. Um, it, it feels like an enemy. It feels like um, an invader and a tyrant and something that came in and took over your life and is ordering you around because you have to do everything. When you're in pain, everything you do is in pain. And everything is, in a sense, you're beholden to pain. You're you're organizing your whole life around the pain and your condition. They kind of, you know, they go together. So it's really intense. It's really intense. And I... A lot of times when we talk about pain from a medical perspective, we talk about, you know, the knee or the neck or the condition or the, but when you're in this level of pain, it's not just the knee or the neck, it's, or the condition, it's your whole being that's affected. It's your whole self. And it it does feel like it takes over your whole life. So one of the things that I talk about is, uh, you know, if pain's already here and it does feel like a, almost a separate being we can treat it as an enemy we can fight it but you kind of have to ask how's that going you know how's that working for you sometimes it works for people sometimes it doesn't and sometimes we um we get into this battle mode where we're we're sort of in our battle armor every morning we put it on and we go to battle with pain all day long and it's exhausting so one of the things i i found for myself when i became exhausted in that way was well this isn't working I'm, this is just frustrating and exhausting and not making me better. It's not healing anything. So what if I sort of turn towards this thing called pain, which I really hate and don't like, but what if I turn towards it and kind of look at it and see, well, what is this thing? And um, I began to really think about how, how is it that I'm still in pain? Why is it still here? What is it doing here? And one of the things I started doing was actually writing letters to pain and just saying, dear pain, you know, why are you still here? What are you doing in my body? Um, Why haven't you left yet? Can't you please leave? I hate you. You know, whatever. Just putting all of that, those emotions out into letters. And and during the process of doing that, realized that, oh, wait a minute. What if I thought about pain differently? Mm. What if I, you know, what if I imagine that pain is here for a purpose? I mean, it must be. It's part of my body saying something to me. So what if we, instead of starting from the place of pain as an enemy, pain is something to be overcome. In fact, we call pain medications painkillers. You know, what, what if we, you know, really we think of it as, as something that we punch or cut out of our bodies or try to kill. So it's kind of a radical thought when you, I mean, we, we so accept in our paradigm of pain that it's bad and wrong to be in pain. And I realized that that's maybe not the best place to start from because we get locked in that battle. And um, 
if we start from a different place, pain has a has a message. Pain is a signal from the body. Pain is, in fact, part of me trying to talk to me. I don't like it. I mean, it doesn't feel good. But there's a reason why it's sort of shouting in that way. You know, there's a reason why it's, in a sense, it feels like it's screaming in your ear all the time. So instead of trying to drown it out or kill it or stop it, you know, almost like a little kid that's pulling on your pant leg, you know, instead of trying to brush them away or push them away or knock them away, maybe you, you stop and say, oh, you've got something to say to me. And, and, and you're annoying me, but maybe it can be less annoying if I actually stop and take a breath and kind of put down the, the swords and the armor and, the, you know, all that battle stuff and just listen for a minute and just be with you. And I found that paradoxically, the more I allowed myself to be with the pain that was already here, I couldn't get rid of it. So if I could just be with it, breathe with it, kind of relax with it a little bit, which is really hard to do. I admit it's not an easy thing to do um, because pain your natural response to pain is to tense up and to pull back. But if you can just relax that a little bit around the edges and even relax around the pain, maybe the pain itself feels like it's still screaming, but kind of relax around it and turn towards it and be a little softer towards it. And after all, we're talking about healing here. And when we try to heal something by fighting it and punching it, that's kind of counterproductive you know but it's our but it's the the only response we are given is is get rid of it or put up with it we don't seem to be given a whole lot of stuff in between and that's what i'm trying to explore with people and and find ways to be with pain differently and when we give it that space to be where it already is paradoxically it begins to feel like it relaxes a little bit and it begins to just the edges of it kind of start to soften a little bit and you know if you can feel any shift in your pain when you're in chronic pain that's a miracle that's amazing so um yeah so just starting from the place of being with pain from a more positive standpoint shifts a lot it's very profound actually do you ever work with people who may like hear, you know, you speaking like that and they're saying, well, this pain isn't here to teach me anything. This pain is a direct result because I was in a car accident and I broke my back and there's no reason or purpose for it, but I'm feeling pain because it's just all structural and this is what's going on in the biology of my body. Yes, sure, sure. And absolutely, there's, there's always, a, there is, of course, usually a physical explanation for what's going on. I have a very structural condition. It's it's easily explained what happened to me. And um, some people do and some people don't. Some people's pain is, is inexplicable, uh, at least for the medical, um, what we have right now for medicine. Some people um, have things that doctors can't explain. But when it's like, look, I, I this thing happened, I had a, maybe a, a joint was replaced or I had a broken leg or whatever. Um, yeah, I do understand that, and it and it and it may seem very hard to think that pain might be actually a teacher or a mentor, even um, because what the heck, you know, it's terrible. It feels awful, and you don't want to be experiencing it. And so I understand the resistance to thinking of pain in that way, absolutely. And the only, you know, the response I have to that is, is you know, if that's working seriously, I'm mean, and I'm not dissing anyone at all. If it works for you to fight it. And to say, I'm not going to learn anything from it, and I hate you, and get out of my body. And if that works, do that, seriously. Because that if that's making the pain go away, and it's really helping, and it's helping you heal, then that is your path, and I support that. 
But if that path isn't working, if pain isn't going away, if in fact it might even be getting worse when you get all tense about it and you know get all badly about it, then maybe consider, oh, okay, maybe there's another level here. There's the physical level, the medical level that's very explicable in terms of a broken bone or whatever it is that we're talking about. But then there's other levels because we are human beings. We're not just our bones. You know, we're not just the medical condition. We are a whole being. We have spiritual aspects and we have emotional aspects and mental aspects and, and physical, and they all live in the same place. So when something happens to your body, it happens to all of you. And in healing the body, I think what we've moved away from with our modern medical paradigm is the whole person being healed. The whole person is affected when something happens. And yet we try to sort of limit it to purely medical, uh, purely physiological responses. And, you know, as you said, when we first introduced the program, there's so many people in pain and so many people in pain for over time that obviously that's not working to only treat, you know, the medical aspects. So, so I guess that would be my response is to just open up to, yes, absolutely. Keep doing whatever you're doing medically. Wouldn't say not to do that at all. But also consider adding the fact, adding in these um, ways of addressing the whole person. Yeah, and if a person is willing to just consider something different or, you know, taking a look at maybe, you know, a bigger picture of spirituality, like what if they wanted to maybe absorb that concept that maybe this is happening for a specific reason or for their soul's purpose or evolution yeah. to grow, um, you know, and look at that. And I know in uh, part three of your book, you have a bunch of different meditative approaches to physical pain. So how you were beginning to touch on how this became more of um, like, a physical journey into a spiritual journey when you showed up to your pain and began to actually commune with it and have a relationship yeah. with it and start to talk to it. So can you let our listeners know too about some of the meditative approaches and also what happened to you on a spiritual level with this relationship with pain? Yeah, thank you. That's a big question. I'll see if I can, <laughs> I can do a good job with answering it. Um, in terms of the meditative approaches, uh, I started thinking, you know, I couldn't do much physically with my condition. So I was left without a whole lot of those treatment modalities that a lot of people using either alternative or the allopathic, not, none of them worked for me. They all made them, made my condition worse. So I was left with just me. It was just me and my pain. And I thought, well, okay, let's try meditating. And well, I quickly found that meditating in the traditional sense, which is sitting with your back straight and doing some deep breathing and you have a certain meditative posture, was extremely painful for me. I couldn't make my back do what it's supposed to do when you meditate. I couldn't sit in the cross-legged posture. I couldn't breathe deeply. So, And I couldn't sit in one position for very long without being in a lot of pain. So that sort of went out the window really quickly. And I thought, well, what am I going to do? I can't even meditate. But in in doing that and in, in just trying it, I noticed that I couldn't breathe deeply. So that led me to notice how I was breathing. And I noticed that I was breathing very shallowly, which I think a lot of us do when we're in pain. And I was holding my breath often. So when the pain spikes, you kind of tend to hold your breath, you know, to try to stop the pain. So I started to follow that, that train of thought and that experience. And I noticed that I was holding my breath 
often. And I was also trying to kind of use the breath as a wall against the pain, as if I could almost use my breath to push against the pain. And and that was very unconscious. It was just a matter of me beginning to notice that. And I think listeners may be able to tune into their own breathing and around pain and notice, oh, wow, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to almost stop breathing, even though you have to keep breathing, because you're afraid that if you take too deep of a breath, it'll it'll sort of almost feed the pain. The pain will get some of that. And it will, uh, you're trying to stop things. So um, I thought, well, what if I did something very different? And I began to work with the breath in terms of um, not trying to breathe deeply so much, but breathing in different relationships with pain. So I I thought, well, I don't, I can't breathe into, I can't breathe deeply into my body and that feels really bad. But what if I kind of imagined that there's a space that there is no pain in? And in, for my body, I couldn't find it inside my body. Some people may have a space in their body where there's no pain that they can breathe into. I had to kind of imagine it outside of my body. And I began to imagine just breathing into the space that didn't have pain. And just that little tiny shift of awareness was kind of a relief. I was oh, I can breathe over there. And of course, I'm still breathing in the same place, obviously with the same pair of lungs. But the shift in awareness allowed me to kind of release some of that holding pattern that we do around pain and some of that clenching and that tightness. And it taught me a lot about how I was being in my body around the pain. I was trying to stop it by clamping down. I was tense around it. I was trying to, you know, keep keep my breath quiet around the pain. And I was trying to push it out of my body almost unconsciously. And all of that adds a lot of tension to the body. And even it's part of it turns into the the aspect of spirituality that we were talking about, but begins, it, it starts out also very, it has very physiological effects to change that. So you, I worked with my awareness and breath, and it shifted how I felt in terms of being more relaxed, which then creates a physiological response of the the breath moving more easily through the body, the 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 blood flowing better and getting healing blood to the tissues, and all that does have physiological responses. But I also, to answer the second part of your question about the spiritual aspects of it, I began to think about pain. You know, why why is it here? You know, I always try to look at the other side of things. You know. There's the there's a physical response and there's the physical aspects and the physical situation, but there's also the sense of why 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 is this happening why me why now when why isn't it healing, and I don't even know if I have a definitive answer to those questions even now, but asking them began to open up a sense of exploration, it began to open up a sense of curiosity about the pain in my body, and thinking. Well, okay, if pain, pain has a positive purpose. Pain is somehow part of me trying to get my attention. It's the part of me that's hurting, asking me for help. And just shifting that view of pain from the enemy to, oh, wait a minute, it's something in me saying, hello, hello, please help me. And I started to think about it as um, kind of an almost a deeper aspect of the self asking for attention. So I shifted my attention to be kinder and softer with it. And that also, all of this, all of these processes that I'm talking about, what they do is they shift our relationship to pain, but they also teach us how to be different with ourselves. 
So I, part of the spiritual journey for me was coming to realize that the way I was with pain was the way I was with the part of me that was hurting, which was the way I was with myself, period. So that I learned a lot about moving from that kind of hypercritical stance towards myself and towards pain and towards the condition to be more accepting of it. Not accepting as in giving up, but it, but allowing of it, more allowing of it to be where it already was, it was already here, and saying to myself, okay, I don't like this. This isn't what I thought I ordered up in life, you know, really. I, I, I don't want it. However, it's on my path. It's here. This is somehow part of my journey in life. So can I walk with pain as kind of a spiritual partner? rather than um, do all the other stuff we've been talking about. So can I be with it? Can I elicit it as an ally and a partner in healing? After all, pain is telling me something's trying to heal. That's its whole purpose. So, you know, can I let go of that hatred towards it and don't have to enjoy it, but at least I can say, okay, I get it. You're trying to tell me something. Let's work together here. And that in itself sounds very simple. It is It is a, a, a small step, a simple step, but it's very, very profound. And it changes everything in the way you are with yourself and the way you are with pain and in accepting it as part of your journey. Yeah. And in your book, you give um, the readers, you know, different exercises. You have like the fear protocol, um, a way to release difficult emotions, but you also have this exercise and it goes right with what we're talking about in shifting your relationship to pain. But there was something that I thought was really interesting as you're walking through, walking the reader through this. And one of the uh, steps, the third step you say is to notice if this mirrors other relationships in your life, Mm -hmm. like, does it resemble any of your relationships with family members, mother, father, sibling, spouse, child, how similar is it to your relationship to life, to your inner self? Um, you know, is there anything about your relationship with pain that feels familiar? And I just thought that that was really profound and a really great way to elicit some of that awareness and just, um, you know, having the person in pain go a little bit deeper with what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, um, especially, and, you know, we're talking about chronic pain here. We're, we're, a lot of times we have pain and we have the flu, we have something, we don't necessarily have to do all these things every time we, we meet pain, but we're talking about pain that doesn't leave pain. That's, that's sort of moved in. And that means it's, it's as far as I can tell, and in my experience and in, in working with people and talking to so many people, when pain moves in like that and it won't leave, it's asking for a deeper response. It's asking for something from us that goes beyond just trying to medicate it away or just trying to um, exercise it away or whatever it is we're trying to do. It's, it seems to be demanding, in fact, um, that we look deeper. And uh, part of that is looking at the way we relate to pain. But, but when we relate to pain, kind of noticing is, is the way I relate to pain, the way I relate to myself, as I was saying before, does it, does it remind me of anything? And, and I even say, you know, to, Imagine pain, you know, you can imagine pain kind of outside of your body, like taking a form and sitting in a chair across from you. What does it look like? Does it look familiar? Does it look like anybody that maybe used to be very critical of you? Or does it look like you? Or does it look like a formless blob? You know, it could be anything. But to just begin to notice, oh, wow, 
the way that this pain feels like towards me is feels like somebody that used to be in my life that was very critical towards me or unkind to me. And so I'm relating to pain the way I would have related to that person or the way that person related to me. And just exploring that, it's not necessarily that I'm saying that all pain comes from some old past emotional trauma. I'm not saying that. Some people do. And I, and I know that there's relationships with that. Absolutely. But I think it's a little oversimplistic to say that they everything is is quite that simply related. But to begin to explore that can really open up um, a releasing of that. So if we if we are responding to pain the way that we would have responded to somebody else, then we're not maybe moving forward. We're kind of stuck in that old paradigm, that old relationship, that old thing that never you know maybe that never got healed that relationship. So if we can recognize it oh, well, maybe I don't want to be with pain the way I would have been with my father or my whatever it was, my great uncle Harry or whoever that was annoying and difficult or or, or maybe abusive. And to just look at, okay, I'm going to let go of that and let pain be whatever it is here um, and not have to necessarily respond to that in that way. Or maybe I need to heal that old relationship in order to move on. Yeah, and I'd like to go into the word chronic and chronic mm-hmm. pain and p- play a little bit of devil's advocate. So maybe you'll play back with me. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so is there maybe something within our medical culture or coining chronic pain to begin to create a belief system that that really does exist? And part of where I'm kind of going with this is, you know, more recently I've been delving into more of the work of, you know, what science is coming out with, with, you know, the mind and how we can heal the body and epigenetics, uh, you know, the works Mm -hmm. of Bruce Lipton, uh, Dawson Church, um, Joe Dispenza, and you can hear a lot of um, different types of spontaneous, well, what one might uh, say spontaneous healings or miracles, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but people really using the power of the mind and consciousness to, rid themselves or to completely heal from whatever that issue is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I see the word chronic, there's a part of me that says, ah, you know, that just, that just seems too locked into me and and my own belief system to say, but, but look at all of this here. So, um, you know, do you believe, I don't know, maybe, you know, what your belief system is or, Mm -hmm. but is there any belief that if somebody is given a diagnosis of chronic pain that maybe we don't even have to use that word or could there be space to really believe that your body one day could be pain free? Well, I, I, I totally hear what you're saying about that. And, and it's kind of like what I was talking about earlier when we talk, talk about painkillers and just using those kinds of terms and shifting it. So, you know, being pronounced that you now have chronic pain is, is in sense, um, can help lock it in place in the sense that, oh, now I'm going to have it forever. So I don't know what other word we would use or, or that there might be some other interim thing. Um, so I hear what you're saying for sure about that, that, that we, it's almost like a sentence, you know, here's your, here's your life sentence. You have chronic pain. And, um, on the other hand, it, it can be chronic. It can be something that lasts for a long time. And, you know, I grew up uh, pretty mystical. Um, I've been doing metaphysical things since I can remember. So 
uh, it was a shock to me when, and I've worked, I spent a long time working with Native American shamans for about 10 years. I worked with Sufis for a long time in healing practices. I uh, studied Reiki. I, you know, I've always been very healthy, health-minded and athletic. I've done a lot of, of new age meditations and uh, um, manifestations and all these, all these things. So I was very, I came into this extremely skilled in all these metaphysical techniques. And I was shocked that none of them helped my pain. <laughs> it was like, what? And that led me to also sort of reevaluate, well, maybe there's a, maybe some of us have have a pain that comes that we there's no way out but through in other words there isn't necessarily going to be the quick fix or the overnight miracle for some of us i'm not saying it can't happen i absolutely believe it can happen um and i've seen many things in my life when when miraculous things have occurred and i certainly believe in the power of of visualization and prayer and all those things. And and if they work, absolutely use them. But there are many, many, many people out there that th those things are not working for. And, and it becomes very discouraging and you begin to wonder what's wrong with me. And this led me to explore more deeply, is pain sometimes part of our spiritual path? You know, I, I, I've been walking that the spiritual path on a very deep level for a very long time so what does that mean when but not it's not a better than or or it's not that kind of thing i'm talking about that like uh, you know but just that i've practiced these things for a really long time so this so the, these ideas of working with metaphysical and spiritual responses were not new to me at all and uh, to be very puzzled by why they weren't working and um, I really feel that sometimes some of us may have a, perhaps you might call it a contract, you might call it a, you know, like a prior agreement to, to move through pain. I don't know. I can't really answer that question definitively. I'm still in the process of uncovering what my whole life is about, you know, in my journey. Okay. I'm just on it, right? And, and later I can look back and go, oh, look at that. That makes sense now. And, but um but there's so many of us on this journey through pain and that are having difficulty that, that are not able to simply complete it, like heal it. And we feel very bad about that. And uh, I, I, one of the things I started thinking about was, was pain as an underworld journey, you know, the, like the, the old Greek myths and, and, and many people have I've talked about the underworld journey as as a metaphor for a spiritual journey and the dark night of the soul and and I thought about my pain journey as that you know you you're going deep 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 into pain into this dark 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 place and when you're down there you have to meet all these demons and kind of awful things and you might be meeting things from your past and you might be meeting parts of yourself you don't particularly like and you have to kind of deal with all those things and part of what pain does and we were talking earlier about pain as a teacher part of what it does is it brings you to the place where you have to see yourself more and more clearly to get through this. You have to let go of the parts of you that aren't working, that aren't supporting the you of you, and you have to really learn to embrace who you really are on the deep inner planes. You have to be able to tap into the, your deepest resources. And, you know, in a sense, that journey has a value. Would I know as much as I do about myself if I hadn't taken this journey? I have to say no. Would I want to sign up for this? No, I wouldn't have wanted to sign up. I would have said, no, thank you. I don't want to take that journey. But I've taken it. 
And I'm coming out the other side slowly, slow. It's been a slow, long thing, but I can say that I'm much better off than I was a few years ago from doing all of the things that I've been talking about today. So, you know, there's, there is absolute value in, in looking at all these other things and, and, I do believe in instant cures and miracle cures, but I also think some of us have a different path. And sometimes the path is to go through it and to learn everything that you learn from sort of being down in that underworld. And then there's a point, and you kind of know it, where you just have to, they always say feeding your story, or I say feeding your story to the gods of the underworld, feeding your pain story. But, you know, you, you give something to the gods of the underworld so you can come out again. And I think what we give up in order to come out is our victimization. We have to let go of the hopelessness. We have to let go of the story of, of woe, oh, why me? You know, just sometimes we just have to let go of the questions and begin to move out and just say, I'm leaving that here. I don't even necessarily have to know why this all happened. It happened. I'm going to give up the fight. Not give up, but give up the fighting part. But keep going. Keep moving. And find my, my take the gifts I can. Find the gold in the ashes. I learned something here. I have more compassion for myself and for other people. I am closer to the me of me than I've ever been before. I've learned how to be with myself in ways that I never could have before. I, I've learned to sit still, which I really didn't want to have to learn how to do. But, you know, you learn to, ha- to reprioritize everything. You learn what you value in life. Um, and those are remarkable um, things, remarkable nuggets of wisdom that you, maybe I personally couldn't have gotten them any other way. Maybe this is just the only way I could have gotten these things for myself. I don't know. Um, but that may be so. So I, I would never want to anyone who is in pain that feels like they can't get, you know, they haven't gotten through it yet. I never want them to feel like they are a failure or have made a mistake, or have done something wrong, sometimes the pain is the path. Yeah. And so where are you today? Uh, as far as like moving through your journey, you've found, you know, some meditation techniques, uh, mm-hmm. way to like, you know, be in relationship with the pain. And where are you overall, like some good days, some bad days, would you say the percentage of your pain, and what you're able to do now has greatly reduced? Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I would never be able to have had this conversation uh, a couple of years ago. I mean, I wouldn't have, my brain would have fallen out. I mean, when, I, you know, when you have really seriously, when you have chronic pain, we have really severe pain. You can't think very well. You, you can barely add two plus two. Like literally there's a lot of brain things that happen that, that there's a lot of side effects of living with chronic pain that, um, you know, really it's very difficult to have the energy even to have a conversation for more than a couple minutes. Um, and I wouldn't have been able to sit this long in a chair. I would have had to get up and, and walk around every couple minutes. Um, so yes, absolutely. Things have, have, have shifted for me. Um, I'm not out of it yet. I'm still in pain pretty much all the time, but it's much more reduced. I sleep better. I, I used to sleep like maybe 40 minutes at a time for years. And I know a lot of people out there have the same thing. We're, we're like zombies during the day because we have such incredible sleep deprivation. So that's uh, been getting better. Um, uh, and, and I have to credit all of these things that we've been talking about. It's the only thing I had. So it's the only thing that's made a difference. And, um, and it's been remarkable, the difference that it's made. So, and it's taken time. It's taken years. It's not, it didn't happen overnight and, and, it, and I'm still not out of it. I'm not, you know, I'm still moving through it, but I feel that even this, even the conversation we're having now, writing the book, 
somehow expressing the journey, for me, I feel was very healing. It was part of my healing process and still is. And I do advocate for people to find ways to express the pain they're in, the physical pain and the emotional pain. Write about it, dance it out if, you, if you're able to move that way, even in small movements. Um, you know, if you can do any kind of art, if you can find somebody who will listen to your story without trying to fix you. You've got to tell them to please just listen and, and be with you. Somebody who can just hold the space for you. Um, because I discovered it'd been several years that I'd been in this and I had never really, really told anyone how awful it was. Um, and I found one of my friends to begin to tell the, 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 the full story to, and they were shocked and horrified and because I didn't want to put that on anyone. But, you know, people want to be there with you. You know, they, I mean, he was, but he was also grateful that I told him and honored. So um, I think expressing what we're going through is really important. And that's part of changing the pain paradigm that we live in. We're told, don't show your pain. Don't talk about it. Uh, get out of it right away. Um, if you tell anybody, you're going to be putting it on them. Uh, if you talk about it or express it, you're going to be making it worse. And actually, I think I find that just the opposite is true. It's not about, um, you know, a pity party and it's not about talking about it all the time. I don't mean that. But finding constructive ways and creative ways to express it can be very, very healing. And I found that that started to relieve me almost immediately. Just I just felt released. And that helped begin the healing process, too. Yeah. And you said something in there, too, like about keeping it secret. and People had no idea, um, you know, unless people are really like on crutches, you have a cast on you. Yeah. Pain is invisible. I mean, you can look yes. like a normal functioning human being and, you know, people look at you, but but you don't look like yeah. you're in pain. Like yeah. I can't see the pain that you're in. I can't even exactly. feel it. I, don't, I can't exactly. get an understanding for it. Yeah. And that's yeah. Yeah. That's part of what makes it difficult, too. And that's part of the guilt. I'm I'm almost six feet tall. I'm very strong looking. And I have to use a disability placard and park in disability parking places. And when I get out of the car, I feel guilty every single time because I look like I'm probably fine. Mm -hmm. I, I can't. I can walk pretty well. I can't carry things for hardly any like Still, it's it's that's that's part of my condition is I can't have weight, so I have to park close to things, and and I often have to have people take things for me to the car. But if I have to carry any little bit of groceries or something, it's got to be really short distance. But nobody, I, I get looks sometimes, you know, when I get out of my car, because it, it, it looks like, you know, what are you doing in that space? I'm not in a wheelchair. And, right. and we have associated wheelchair with disability. And, and that's all. But you're absolutely right. Pain is unseen. And one of the things I've learned, too, is, is I now can see pain. Um, you know, I can I notice people around me now that I wouldn't have noticed before. Instead of being mad at the person in front of me that's walking slowly up the stairs, you know, like, hurry up, I'm trying to get into the grocery store. I can go, wow, that person's probably in pain. Even though I can't see it, they're just walking slowly. You know, I don't, they were walking slowly for a reason. And to just have more compassion for everyone around us is really important because we can't see what they're going through, physical pain or emotional pain. Right. And it must be, you know, when you were talking about that, like, you know, those handicap spots are made for wheelchairs. But when you think about what's painted there, it is a wheelchair, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's like a so sort of unfortunate symbol. I know. We need us. like a yeah. pain movement, um, you know. Yeah. 
thing to say, like, maybe they have to not paint that and just put like a frown face, you know, use an emoji <laughs> that just says, you know, I'm, I'm in pain and it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be something yeah. physical, like yeah. you said, like, you know, yeah. and there's, there's lots of things. Um, people are recovering from operations, surgery, and they might need a, uh, might need a disability placard temporarily. And again, they may not look like anything's going on, you know, but they might have to walk slowly or just, they're just in a lot of pain and they need to take care of themselves. So just being aware that, you know, you don't get those placards on the internet, you know, a doctor has to give them to you and they're not easy to get. So just to be kind to people, even if you can't see what's going on with them and just assume, assume, you know, assume the, the that they probably have a good reason for why they're using it. Right. And I would also like to bring our listeners as we're kind of coming to a close here to your website. You have a great website. It's called thepaincompanion.com. I mean, there's lots of information on here. Um, so I'd like you to talk a little bit about what people can find if they go to your website. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I have a blog that I put out. I write about living with pain. I kind of write a little bit philosophically and sometimes practically about, you know, how to how to how to be with pain. How do we get, how do we, how do we live with this thing that we're already in? And I also do little, um, I do some videos. I have a YouTube channel also called the pain companion, but you can get to that through my website too. Um, where I talk, sometimes I talk about pain. Sometimes I make little one minute meditations with pictures and music and words for people that just help them kind of get through something. Um, and I have resources on there and, uh, you know, free resources. So my, I know my, fear protocols on there and there's there's some um pdfs you can download on how to talk to your practitioners about the pain you're in and how to talk to family and that kind of thing so um yeah please visit and i always love to hear from people so there's a contact form on there too if you want to get in touch with me i'm be delighted to interact Great. Well, thank you, Sarah, so much for sharing your story with us. I am sure you're going to be impacting very, you know, a large number of people considering how many people statistically are in pain. This is a much needed book. Um, and I really enjoyed our conversation. And for our listeners, again, the book is called The Pain Companion, Everyday Wisdom for Living with and Moving Beyond Chronic Pain with Sarah Ann Shockley. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you, April. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. If you want more information about our films, visit our website, path11productions.com, to purchase DVDs or to rent and stream each film. You can also find our trilogy of films on iTunes, Amazon Prime, and Gaia.com. You can still use our smartphone app for both Android and iPhones. Just search for Path 11 in the Google Play App Store, or if on an iPhone, look for Path 11 in the iOS App Store. Catch you next time!